Thanks, Brother Evan. Thanks, worship team. Uh, what better way to intro a discussion about the greatness of Jesus than to sing about the greatness of Jesus? What a great time uh, worshiping the Lord who deserves it most. Hey, I'm excited this morning. We're going to be launching into a new series that's going to last for the well, foreseeable future. Uh, we're going to journey through the gospel of John together as a church. We are going to, uh, with John, come and see who Jesus is and get the opportunity to discover, maybe for the first time or maybe to remember again, how incredible our Lord is, how incredible is the name of Jesus. So listen, if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open to John chapter 1. If we're going to begin a discussion through or a journey through the gospel of John, makes sense that we would start in John uh, chapter number one. So as you're finding John, uh, I had a thought this week. Have you ever uh, been in one of those goat conversations? Um, I'm not talking about a fainting goat or an alpine goat or a Nigerian dwarf goat or a pygmy goat or the goat that your grandma used to milk. That's not the kind of goat that I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know those were actual goat breeds until I Googled it this week. And so, yes, I did uh, study goat breeds just for that dad joke uh, for you this morning. So if you want to laugh about it, I'm okay with that. Yeah, thank you for the five of you who thought that was funny. All right, other dads in the room, I appreciate that, right? I'm actually talking about the goat, which is the greatest of all time. Uh, I titled the sermon this morning just that as we talk about Jesus. Now, these debates in particular, the goat debates, have been going on for a very long time. This could be anything from sports legends to discipleship training classes. Now, some of you may not even know what discipleship training classes are, but I guarantee you someone next to you has a better one than you have. They have the greatest of all time when it comes to discipleship training classes. Listen, you name it, people have had a goat discussion about it. So, listen, I'm really only bringing up the goat conversation or discussion because there's truly only one that can be called uh, the goat, that can be called the greatest of all time, and his name is Jesus. Now, I know that's a little cheesy, right? Some of you are thinking, wow, Danny, you really went there? Jesus is the goat. Ha, 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 you're, you're lame, right? I'm with you, right? It was meant to be lame, but when you really think about it, when you think about Jesus, imagine this. You can't exaggerate Jesus, right? He can't be overvalued. There is no limit to the greatness of Jesus, and he is from all time or literally even before time. Now, John, in the very beginning of his gospel, might do the best job out of anyone else who wrote portions of the Bible to help us try to wrap our brains around the greatness that is Jesus. So this morning, I want to walk through John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 together, which, by the way, we could have all kinds of theological discussions and debates and arguments. We could go as deep into this text as you want to, spending time there for the rest of our time here on earth. But instead, I just want to give you some things in the great goat debate discussions on why Jesus is really the goat. Let me show you this. Here's the first thing. I want us to talk about his abilities. When we think about Jesus being the goat, I think it's appropriate for us to think about his abilities. Look at John chapter 1, the very first two verses. Let's see what John writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, of course, Word is really uh, a, a symbol for 
Jesus. Now, why is this a description of his abilities? Well, let me show you. First of all, he's the meaning of all things. Jesus, who is the Word, is the meaning of all things. John calls Jesus the Word. Now, in the original language, this literally means a word or a statement. But that's not actually what this word, which is the Greek word logos, it's not what this word means. You see, in the original context that John was writing to, this meant so much more than a word or a statement. What it actually meant was the conception that lies behind everything. Now let that sink in for a moment. The conception behind everything, this is Jesus. Everything from the beginning of time, even before time began, finds its purpose in Jesus. He always has been, even from the beginning. John is literally referring to the beginning of time. He was with God from before time began. In fact, John takes it even further by stating that the Word wasn't just with God in the beginning, but the Word, Jesus, was God. You see, in the very beginning of the Bible, when the writer of Genesis wrote the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he used a plural form for God and a singular form for the verb created. Now, as hard as this is to grasp, John is making a reference to what we call the Holy Trinity, God existing in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, even though this is hard for our brains to fathom, it shouldn't surprise us. Even creation displays the imagery of a triune God. Let me explain. Our universe is a triune universe. It exists in space, matter, and time. Space is triune. It exists in length, breadth, and height. Matter is triune. It exists in energy, motion, and phenomena. Time is triune. It exists in past, present, and future. So when you think about all that is created around us, these relationships simply reflect the relationships within the creator of all things. The world is in the image of God, right? We are in the image of God. It's a depiction of who our God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this doesn't refer to a start, but to an infinite state. Now to help you see that, we need to think about the verb was. It helps us understand the awesome capabilities of Jesus because it's what the Greek language would call an imperfect verb. Now in English, we don't fully understand what this means, but in Greek, here's what it means. It means that there's continuous action being represented, not a completed past. Not was, but started then, has been, and will continue. Literally, Jesus has no beginning or end. Now, simply put, here's how this verse could be translated in English. You ready? In the beginning, always has been and always will be the Word. And the Word always has been and always will be with God. And the Word always has been and always will be God. John is referring to a mode of existence that transcends Time. You see, time is just a device that helps finite beings relate to their own mode of existence. The verb that John uses takes us into the sphere of timelessness. Jesus has no beginning. Jesus will never have an ending. He belongs to all of eternity. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, right? Me too. 
I'm with you. I know it's hard to understand. In fact, I don't really even fully understand even the things that I'm talking with you about when it comes to who Jesus is. When we think about the meaning of all things, that is way bigger than my mind can ever imagine. But to think back with John, to think about the full capability of Jesus, we have to go back to a dateless past, a time before time. We must think of Jesus as having never begun at all. He is eternal, always has been, and always will be. Now listen, John's not making this claim lightly. He's not saying Jesus is God without thinking about what that really means. As a matter of fact, it would be just as crazy for me today to say one of you is God as it was for John to tell the people around him that Jesus was God. But John had spent over three years with Jesus. He's not making some simple accusation. He witnessed the extraordinary life of Jesus. For well over half a century, he had the opportunity to think over the things that he experienced and witnessed when it came to Jesus. And here's what happened. John came to one simple conclusion. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God. He is, will be, always. This is why John wrote this entire letter. This is why he tells us at the end of the letter in John chapter 20, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's inviting us to come and see. Why? Because of the abilities of Jesus. He is the meaning of all things. But look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John's telling us that he's the meaning of all things, but he's also telling us that he's the maker of all things. Just think about creation. You ready? Listen to this. Space is so vast that we use a measurement called a light year, which represents the distance that light travels in one year. Now, to put it in more measurable terms, which, by the way, I'm not, but I'm going to try, a light year is the equivalent to encircling the earth at the equator seven, time, seven and a half times at 186,273 miles per second. Anybody fathom that for a moment? I don't know if that's in, in, in measurable terms, but that's the best I can do. And in space, by the way, there are plenty of stars and suns that are believed to be billions of light years away. Matter of fact, there are stars that could contain 64 million suns, the size of ours. There are others that could contain 100 million stars, the size of the star that can hold 64 million stars, the size of our sun. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years in diameter. It is revolving at a speed of 200 miles an hour. It takes 2 million years to complete one revolution on its axis. You say, Danny, why are you telling us all that? I... Because creation is huge. But guess what? The one who made it all, Jesus, the goat, he holds it in the palm of his hands. Now listen, don't just think about how vast, how large, how huge it is. I want you to think how precise creation is. Think about this. Our planet, for instance, doesn't travel in a true circle. You probably know that. It travels in three directions at the same time. It revolves on its own axis, it travels around the sun, and its path is deflected by other planets. Yet... It does not lose more than one one-hundredth of a second every hundred years. You say, Danny, why are you telling us that? Because creation is huge, but it is intensely precise, and it's all made by Jesus. But watch this. It's also really, really small. You say, Danny, what do you mean? The building block of the universe is the atom, an entity so small that each one is less than 150 millionth of an inch in diameter. I don't even know if I said that right. 
If the molecules of a single drop of water could be converted into grains of sand, there would be enough sand to build a concrete highway half a mile wide and one foot thick all the way from New York to San Francisco. One drop of water. Each cell in a living creature contains 200 billion molecules of atoms. The nucleus of a cell is less than four ten thousandths of an inch in diameter. The membrane that encloses the cell's component parts is only one half of that or one millionth of an inch thick. Listen, why are you telling us all this? Because friends, creation is wild. But think about this. The goat greatest of all time, Jesus. He's the maker of it all. That, my friends, is what I call ability. But let me show you this too. Look at verses four and five from John chapter one. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's the meaning of all things. He's the maker of all things. Let me, let me show you this. He's the master of all things. We've already talked about the role of Jesus when it comes to life. He spoke into existence all life that exists. He is the source from which all life has begun. However, John puts Jesus's life-giving in the context now of light. We may, in fact, have never even known that Jesus is the one who gives life, except that God has clearly made that visible through the light of Jesus Christ. And even though there's a lot of darkness in the world, the darkness cannot overcome the light. Doesn't matter how bad, how scary, how fierce the darkness may be, the light will always push it back into the corner that it came from. He's the master of all things. In fact, the best picture of this is seen through the death of Jesus on the cross. It begins with the darkness of one of Jesus' very own disciples betraying him. Then the darkness continues as the savior of the world is spit on, beat, slapped, and mocked. The darkness moves on as one of Jesus' most beloved disciples denies that he has ever even known Jesus. Then the darkness shows itself more as Jesus' own people choose a murderous thief over him. Then Jesus is crowned with thorns. Uh, he's mocked, he's spit on, he's beaten. Then he's placed on a cross and he's hung on a hill called Golgotha between two thieves. Listen, the darkness gets real when the whole land was left in darkness for hours as Jesus hung on the cross. Then as Jesus dies, the curtain in the temple was torn in two and earthquakes begin to happen all over the place. At last, the darkness concludes with dead people coming out of their tombs and walking around the city and Jesus's body is taken to be buried in a tomb forever. This is the darkness of the scene that's built as you're reading through the accounts of Jesus's life. It's as as if he's been defeated and darkness has overcome the world. But we know, friends, the story didn't end there. John was giving us hope even in the very beginning of his writing. Even I would admit to you that Jesus can't be the goat, the greatest of all time, if he's not strong enough to win his own battles. But listen to Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. Jesus has been dead for three days and some of his disciples go to see him at his tomb and Matthew says, he is not here for him. He is risen. Listen, friends, if that's not clear enough, listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why is Jesus the goat, the greatest of all time? Because death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. There's nothing that can overcome Jesus. He's the goat because of his abilities. You with me? Let me show you this, though. He's also the goat because of his acclamation. I want us to talk about his acclamation. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8, John chapter 1. 
John goes on. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Little, no coincidence there. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now listen, when we have the goat debate about anything, I don't know about you, but for me, reputation matters. What we hear about that person and what people say about that person matters. But what really carries weight is what people say about that person who know that person. How do they praise, how do they acclaim that person that they have firsthand experience of? Now, in reference to Jesus, John calls this person who has firsthand experience to the acclamation of Jesus, he calls him a witness. Now, a witness isn't telling you secondhand information. A witness is telling you things from experience. Now, when I think about the great GOAT debates around athletes, there's nothing more compelling to me than hearing someone who's competed against both athletes that are considered to be the GOAT or whatever sport. I want to hear that person's testimony that's been around both of those people in the discussion. That, to me, carries a lot of weight. Well, think about all the people and things that testify to the reputation, to the greatness of Jesus. Think about the acclamation he receives. A good example of this witness can be seen through nature. The moon itself is a dead world in space, a massive chunk of lifeless rock. It has zero light on its own, not a spark, not a glimmer. The work of the moon is not to shine its own light, but rather to reflect the light of the sun. The same is true for us. It's a picture of followers of Jesus. The moon is simply temporary light through the night because the sun is coming. Our job is simply to reflect the light of Jesus. Jesus is the goat because of his acclamation portrayed through his own people. Our stories of how Jesus has changed us contribute to his fame, to his praise, to his acclamation. Matter of fact, this makes me think about an encounter that we'll read about later in this study in John chapter 4. It's about a woman. Listen to what it says about her. It says, the woman left her water jar and went away into town. This is after encountering Jesus. And she said to the people in the town, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Friends, scripture is filled with story after story of people who have shared the amazing things that Jesus has done in their lives. The apostles wrote gospels that share the entire life of Jesus. Later, apostles like Paul would share how they were changed by Jesus through the Accounts of many witnesses, the reputation of Jesus proves him to be the goat. He's the goat because of his abilities. He's the goat because of his acclamation. Let's also talk about his authority. Let's let that settle in for a moment in the great goat debate. Look at verse 12, John chapter 1. We'll keep going. But to all who did receive him, John writes, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now let's pause here for a moment. Jesus is the goat, the greatest of all time, because he has the ability to do anything, but also because he has the authority to do anything. He has the authority to change our lives forever if we will do what John says are two simple things. The first one is believe. That's why John wrote, to all who believed in his 
name. Now, believe signifies that we know we're a sinner in need of a Savior. It signifies that we know that Jesus has the power to save us from our sins. As a matter of fact, his name has the power to save. That's why God told his earthly father, Joseph, to name him Jesus. You want to know why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Matter of fact, Peter makes this clear. In Acts chapter 4, he wrote, he said, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you believe in his name, you can become children of God. But listen, he didn't leave it just with believe. He also said you must receive. John wrote to all who did believe, to all who did receive him, became children of God. It's not just enough to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We know that even the demons believe and tremble. We must not simply say that Jesus is the savior of the world. We must receive him as our personal savior. Receive means we allow him to have total control of all that we are. Here's what that looks like. Jesus, you know what's best for me. You know the right decisions and future that I need. Jesus, my life is yours. You must receive him as the Savior and Lord of your life. When we believe and receive him, we become children of God. We're no longer controlled by the flesh, but controlled by God. We become filled with the very power and purpose of God as his spirit takes up residency in our lives. This life-giving power of God flows in and regenerates our human spirits. We have life from above. Now, friends, who else can come completely change your brokenness and make you complete. Who else can give you life from above? No one else can. That's why Jesus is the goat, because of his abilities, his acclamation, his authority. Let me show you this too. Let's talk about his actions. We can't go on without talking about the actions of the goat. Look at John 1:14, And the word, John continues, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Sure, we know about his ability and his acclamation and his authority, but in order for our lives to be changed, Jesus actually had to come to us. He had to do something. For anyone to be the goat, they have to have actually accomplished something, have done something. Their actions must point to the greatest of all time. Well, praise God, Jesus did. He didn't simply look down from heaven and have pity on us. He came to be as one of us in order to save us. Listen to this from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Or listen to how it's put, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was born and dwelt among us. The word for dwelt means to take up residency, but it comes from the same word that means tabernacle. In other words, literally the dwelling place of God. So think about this concept. The very presence of God has taken up residency among us through Jesus. He came to show us the glory of God, but not just to show us, to allow us 
access to God. He came to tabernacle to live among us in order to save us, lead us, love us. He stepped down from the very throne of heaven to live among you and me to provide us a way to God. Jesus is the goat because of his abilities, his acclamation, his authority, his actions. Let me show you this last one. Let's talk about his attributes. Can't have the goat discussion without attributes. Look at John chapter 1, verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Hallelujah. You say, Danny, what's he pointing to? Well, he's showing us that Jesus, he's, he's the love of God. Jesus is literally full of grace. There is no one who is more patient or more compassionate toward us than Jesus. In fact, Paul put it like this, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Who do we know who loves like Jesus? Who do we know that offers that type of grace? Who do we know who's compassionate to all regardless of their past or their current state? Who do we know that has this type of unconditional compassion? No one. He's the love of God. I want to show you this too. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's not just the love of God. He's the legitimacy of God. Listen, Jesus is not just full of grace, although he is. He's also full of truth. He's the only one that we can say loves us unconditionally where we are, but will never leave us where we are. He loves us too much to sugarcoat it in our lives. He will point out what's there that shouldn't be there, but love us through every single minute of it. He is both full of grace and full of truth. He has completed the very law of God. In fact, Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matter of fact, John later records the words of Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is all truth, and in him there is no lie. But look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Listen, he's certainly the, the love of God. He's certainly the legitimacy of God, but also, friends, listen, he's the likeness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to I think about the goat conversation with someone who shows us how to have life, someone who shows us what we can look up to. Jesus was perfect without a single mistake, and if that's not enough, he is the perfect representation of God. You want a role model? You want someone to model your life after? Can you really find someone better to be like than someone who perfectly represents perfection. Friends, John is writing this beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture to tell us that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Why? Because of his abilities, because of his acclamation, because of his authority, because of his actions, because of his attributes. He's telling us all of this to make great the name of Jesus. Why? For this question, you ready? Do you know him? Of all the people you can know, of all the things that you can connect with, of all the things that you can claim are yours and brag and boast about, could there be anything better than Jesus? And friends, listen, he came to live among us. He's not just way out there, this distant God that doesn't know or love us. He's not this cold, imaginary being that we make up to make us feel better. No, no, no. He disproved all of that when he took on human flesh and dwelt among us. He is the very likeness of God, and he longs to have a relationship with you and with me. Do you know Jesus? You know what John's doing? He's inviting us 
to come and see. Matter of fact, there's a moment later in John, it's in John chapter 6, where Jesus had made some really difficult statements, and many of the people that were following him decided that they were no longer going to follow after him. And after that moment, as everyone's leaving, Jesus looks back at his disciples, and he asks them, hey, everyone else is leaving. Are you going to leave too? And Peter very famously makes an awesome statement back to Jesus. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go, Jesus? Listen, here's what he says. You have the words of eternal life. There is no way to go. There is nowhere else to turn to. You know what Peter was saying in John chapter 6? He was saying the same thing that John was writing about in John chapter 1. He was saying, Jesus, you are the goat. You are the greatest of all time. Where else are we going to go? Friends, I wonder who's in here this morning that needs to be asked that same question. Do you know Jesus? Are you going to go with him or are you going to turn and go the other way? Here he is. He's in the word. We, we preached about him this morning. Will you follow Jesus? He's not distant. He's here. He came for you. Will you this morning? Take the invitation and come and see. Taste of Jesus to see if he is good. Friends, who's here this morning that needs to hear what John wrote in the very first chapter of his gospel so that you may believe, so that you may know who Jesus is, so that you can come and see he is the greatest of all time. Why follow anyone else when Jesus is the one to follow. Hey, I wonder what believers in the room this morning who needs to be reminded Jesus is the greatest of all time. You may be finding your satisfaction in something else. You may be relying on anything else in your life to help you get through everything, forsaking the one who's greater than it all. Jesus is the goat. Friends, I don't know what he's telling you this morning, but here's what I know. John writes to us to magnify the greatness of Jesus because nothing else can compare. Our response this morning should be to fall on our face in praise of the greatest of all time. His name is Jesus. He's inviting you to walk with him. If you've never been forgiven of your sins, turn from your old life to follow after Jesus today. Listen, I'll be right back there in that lobby. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing typical invitation in a Baptist church, but instead of me being right here, I'm gonna be in that lobby back there. I'll be the one pacing around probably in the room. If you need Jesus, you come find me. I'd love to take my Bible, open it up, and tell you how you can begin a relationship with the greatest of all time. <laughs> hey, friend, if you're a follower of Christ and you've been somewhere else on, a, in a, on another planet for a little while, you've been running from me, you've been finding your satisfaction and everything else, listen, I'd love to pray with you. You come find me back there. I would love for you right now, as you've seen once again the greatness of Jesus, to realize there is nothing better to run to. Friends, I don't know what he's asking for you, but I know when his word is preached, he demands a response from us. So what is that for you, friend? What's Jesus trying to show you today as you continue to walk and live after him? Let me pray.